You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. My name is Matt Anderson, and I am your host for all things Gamecock After Dark. Uh, just a heads up, um, you can always reach me at latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com. Or you can um, you can get a hold of me on the Big Spur message board under the username Matt Anderson. Um, just for those that you know might be finding this show for the first time, um, normally we record shows on Monday and Thursday evenings. Uh, normally I don't get started till about nine o'clock at night. Usually go about thirty minutes to fifty minutes, just depending on how much we have to talk about. Um, but one one thing that's really exciting is. Starting on Monday, and I know we talked about this last week, but starting on Monday, this upcoming Monday, this show will go live on YouTube. Um, like I've told you before, you'll get to see my face built for radio, but I'm excited to interact with all of you on YouTube. And, you know, for those of you that might be putting kids down at night or, you know, just winding down after dinner or whatever, you know, make sure you hop on the YouTube um, stream. You can always, you know, use the chat box to talk to me. Have have a good time. Um, I'm I'm here, and I'm really excited. I'm here for for you first and foremost, always. But I'm excited to have a bit of conversation instead of me just thinking about what I want to talk about for you know thirty to forty five to fifty minutes. It always just depends on how much we have to talk about. But so excited for that. Don't worry if you're not able to watch the YouTube stream. That's only going to be on Mondays going forward. And then after that, you'll still be able to find me on your, wherever you listen to podcasts um, from the Inside the Gamecocks channel. I think eventually we will be on the Chief Sports Network that, that JB put together for us. So you'll be able to catch up on episodes anytime that you would like. But this week, or this tonight, which is actually today, um, just a heads up, I can't remember if I said it off the top, but I was not able to record last night. Just had a... Some family stuff, and you know how it is. It's kind of hectic sometimes at night, dinner, after dinner, all that kinds of stuff. So wasn't able to get anything recorded last night, but I am recording this on Friday, September 15th, 2023. I've lost track of how many episodes this is. We're, we're probably into the 20s, if not the 30s now. So make sure you, you go back and listen to any podcast you want, but I'll go ahead and tell you um, these podcasts are pretty much... Um, pretty much live and what's happening right now. So if you want to go back and listen to, you know, some things that might've happened in recruiting over the summer, by all means, go back and listen. Um, if you, if you'd like to be so inclined, you can, you know, download the podcast and subscribe to it. And that does help out with numbers and, and whatnot. But, but really these, these podcasts are pretty much meant to be in podcast shows, whatever you want to call them are just meant to be what's happened over the last three days, every three days when it comes to Gamecock sports. And, and the big news that we have right now is that the Gamecocks are going to play Georgia, the number one team in the country, on Saturday between the hedges. You can find the game on CBS um, at 3.30 p.m. You can probably find it on whatever radio station you listen to Gamecock games on, um, maybe Sirius XM, I think it's channel 119. So you'll be able to check all of that out, and um, hopefully the Gamecocks have a, have a good showing. I, I, I did pull up the weather for tomorrow just to kind of look at it, and... It's a high of 78 and a low of 63, and it's going to be cloudy. So it's going to be a perfect day for football. I really wish I could be down in, in Athens with with everybody that's going to the game, but didn't work out. Didn't work out for this trip. Been to Athens numerous times. It's a great football city. 
it's a great bar city. It's a great restaurant city. It's a it's a great college town. So for those of you that are going, I think you'll have a really good time. Um, if, if some of you are kind of on the fence, do you want to go? Do you not want to go? Um, there are a ton of seats available. I'm looking at vividseats.com right now. And there are seats available for $66 in the upper deck, um, $120 in the lower deck, um, section 107, visitor sideline, 50-yard line. So um, good opportunity to still grab tickets if you want to go see the Gamecocks face off against the number one team in the country, Georgia Bulldogs. I'm really excited for the game tomorrow. We're going to talk a, a lot about this a little bit later in the show, but it's not often you have an opportunity to go on the road and, and face a number one team in the country. It's the kind of opportunity that allows your team to have some not only bragging rights on on a rival like Georgia, who the Gamecocks have played for eons, you know, annually. But you know, next year that's going to change. Next year the Gamecocks won't play Georgia. I don't know if they'll play them in two years or, you know, how the SEC is going to do that scheduling over time. But this might be your last chance to go to Athens for a little bit. And why not go see the Gamecocks face off against the number number one team in the country and, and try and secure what would be the biggest win in Gamecock football history? No doubt. No doubt there. So um, a couple notes really quick. I'm going to talk a little bit of this more later when I do my my preview of the game. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you about the injuries. I know that there's been a lot of frustration on the, the Big Spur message board, kind of talking about Shane and, and how Shane talks about injuries and, and what that actually means, um, whether you can just take it with a grain of salt, throw it out the window altogether, throw it in the trash, or, or take it for what it's worth. Um, you know, what Shane said is essentially uh, Marquis Anderson, a freshman offensive guard, is definitely out this week, and, and so is Jacius Gear, um, a transferred defensive end who was having, having a great fall camp and, you know, was counting on by the Gamecocks to kind of lock down one of those defensive end positions. Those two guys are out. Everybody else, all I can say is I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, Juice Wells, you know, played 30 snaps against Furman. Uh, I don't think he got a target in that game. He might have caught one pass. But um, got, we got to get Juice Wells back to what to what Juice is. That That's the bottom line there. Xavier Leggett has been awesome, absolutely awesome, in what he's done so far for the Gamecocks from a – from a receiving standpoint, and Spencer's been great, you know, pitching the ball around the field. You know, you kind of wonder what Spencer could have done with a Steve Spurrier at the helm. But, you know, Gamecocks still have a lot of talent. Um, not as much talent as the Georgia Bulldogs do, that that is for sure. But the Gamecocks do have some talent, and it's time for SEC schedule to get, to get rocking. It's time for these guys to maybe play up to their potential, and maybe that's something that they have not done thus far in the season. Um, I think about it. I think the North Carolina game, there was a lot of positive momentum. You know, I think maybe folks like me, folks in the media, folks that, um, you know, just fans in general were very, very excited and excited for good reason. And I don't know what happened in Charlotte, but I know that's not the team that you can expect the Gamecocks to field week in and week out. Uh, Looking to Furman, there was a little bit of a – of a hangover to start the the first and the first quarter and into the second quarter, but the Gamecocks took care of business and had a great game on offense. You know, overall, so maybe that was the tune-up game we needed. Uh, we'll see what happens in Athens. So there, it's going to be a it's going to be a great great environment. Um, if you haven't been to Athens before, you're going to get a lot of folks barking at you. Um, you know, I don't think we really cockadoodle do it, many fans or at least opposing fans. We might do it at a tailgate just for fun, but. 
Um, the Georgia Bulldogs will be out there barking. Um, Ugga will be out there. It's going to be a, a really good atmosphere, so excited for that. So moving on, um, what I like to do on these Thursday, or in this case Friday shows, is I like to go around the SEC. I know a lot of people um, watch college football religiously every Saturday. I know there's a lot of people that check box scores religiously every Saturday, every Sunday. And I know there's some folks that just care about the Gamecocks and you know aren't that inclined to look around the SEC on a week-in, week-out basis. So what I do on every... Every Thursday, every Friday, as I kind of go around the SEC last week, um, and this might end up being something I do on Mondays, but you know, I like to watch as many games as I can, and you're kind of limited on Saturdays, but one of the things that I do is I record every SEC football game every week, and I at least try and watch like the big plays, the highlights, or you know, as much as much football as I can watch because it, it really helps out when you're when you're thinking about South Carolina's next opponent. You know, what have you seen them do? Not what you've read online but what have you seen them do so i like to do this on thursdays because it gives me more time in the week to kind of catch up on on stuff i missed on saturdays so let's set let's set the stage for this week by looking back at last week in the sec georgia handled ball state by a score of 45 to 3 uh bulldog quarterback carson beck threw for 283 yards passing on 23 of 30 attempts for two touchdowns and an interception uh, one of the things that i noticed and kind of like paying attention to this game throughout the day was that um, Georgia had eight players attempt to rush, and they compiled 99 yards on the ground, three touchdowns on 28 carries. But it was only good for three and a half yards per rush. So that's one of the things that, you know, we'll see what the Gamecocks can do on Saturday against Georgia. But, you know, it's a good sign that in a game where Georgia kind of wanted to salt away a win, they weren't just absolutely blowing the doors off rush, running the ball. Um the Georgia defense did force three interceptions, and they combined for one sack and three tackles for loss against Ball State, and they gave up only 224 total yards. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about Georgia's defense right now, and, you know, Georgia's been the cream of the crop defensively for the past two years, and there's a lot of new faces there, uh, maybe some young guys, maybe some guys that have just been waiting for their turn. But um, Georgia's defense is still salty. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for the Gamecocks, and we'll talk more about that later. But Georgia now comes in this week 2-0, and ranked number one in the country. And, um, yeah, just an all-around good football team. Maybe maybe an elite football team. Maybe just a great football team. We'll, we'll find out this year with Georgia. But um, Alabama, um, and this was very surprising to me, was dealt a 34-24 loss at the hands of Texas in Tuscaloosa. And this was a game where Texas exploded for 21 points in the fourth quarter of the game. This was a game I wanted to go back and watch. It was it was happening during the Gamecock game, and I was in the stadium watching the Gamecocks play Furman. But um, kind of clear to me that Jalen Milrow, although he had a quite efficient first first week of the season, you know, just didn't exactly give um, what give Alabama what they needed. Um, Fourteen of twenty seven, so you know, barely over fifty percent passing, two hundred fifty five yards passing, had two touchdowns, two interceptions, and he added forty four yards on the ground. But what's interesting to note is um, Alabama announced that they will be um, making a quarterback change and going to the Notre Dame quarterback, who I'm blanking on his name right now, but I believe that he was the starter against South Carolina last year in the bowl game. And, and we saw that you know he can be kind of hit or miss himself, but when he's on, um, he can be a good good quarterback. So we'll see what happens with Alabama. Um, you know, the Tide only had 107 yards rushing on 35 carries for an average of 3.5 yards per rush. That's not really – you know, what they're trying to do. 
Um, Alabama seemed to to lose some of its shine over the past two or three years, and in losing to soon-to-be SEC foe Texas um, has left a sour taste in the mouth of all Alabama fans. You know, I still think Alabama has enough talent, and we'll see what happens with this quarterback change to to stay. You know, potentially, you know, one of those top four to top ten teams in the country. Uh, but they're definitely they've definitely entered the LSU frame of mind where every game needs to be a statement from here on out to get back in the college football playoff conversation. And you know, right now it's not great for the SEC that Florida State and Texas kind of have a leg up on two of the the premier teams in the SEC who traditionally you know have have been at least competing for spots in the college football playoff. So. Really excited to see what happens with LSU and Alabama. My early prediction right now is that one of them will be in the mix as the top six team in the country, you know, midseason on. And we'll see which one of them it is. That that Alabama-LSU game definitely looms large for both programs later on this year. Uh, talking about an SEC East opponent, Tennessee took down Austin P by a score of 30-13. to 13. Um, a, a note, if you weren't able to watch this game or you didn't get a chance to pay attention to it, at halftime this game was a 13-6 um, game with Tennessee winning by seven points. So the Vols got 10, 10 unanswered points in the third quarter, kind of took a comfortable 23-6 lead into the fourth quarter. But, you know, for me, quarterback Joe Milton still hasn't shown me what I need to see from him to to say that Tennessee belongs in the top four in the country. Um I don't know if the five-star kids can eventually, you know, come in for Joe Milton, but it's just very clear that Tennessee's not able to operate at the same pace of play they operated last year, which really, you know, caught a lot of teams by surprise, and it was hard to keep up with Tennessee last year. So far this year, I haven't seen it where it's going to be that difficult for, you know, the better teams in the country to keep up with Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's rushing attack, where I think they're going to have to focus the rest of their season, you know, torched Austin P. Um, towards the, the governor's defense for 228 yards on 32 attempts. So that was 7.1 yards per rush, and it really seemed like every time they ran the ball, it was something that you know Austin Peay just couldn't stop. Um, Tennessee's defense, you know, I talked about this before, but they have a lot of upperclassmen that are starting for them this year. They have a lot of age, a lot of wisdom, and and they had seven more sacks on Saturday, 14 tackles for loss. I think you'll eventually see the Vols rely mostly on the run game and defense as the season progresses. I just don't think that the quarterback, at least right now, um, Joe Milton, is going to be able to run the high-paced offense that they ran last year. Um, we'll talk about this more later in my gambling picks, but it'll be inter- it'll be an interesting weekend in the swamp this weekend because I don't think that Florida is a great team, but their defense – you know, Florida's defense has looked pretty good so far. This could be a, a really big trap game for Tennessee. Hey, hey, Max. Sorry, my dog's out there beside me having a dream. That's my Big Spur dog. I'll, I'll give him a shout on many podcasts as I can, but my Big Spur dog, Max, is having a little dream right now. Um, LSU um, took out their frustrations from their blowout loss to Florida State on the poor <laughs> Grambling Tigers. They won by a final score of 72-10. to 10. LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels had himself a day, five touchdown passes in the air, 269 yards passing, but he did it on only 24 attempts. So that's over 10 yards per passing attempt. That's really what I expected to see out of LSU this year. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the conference and one of the better quarterbacks in the nation. And then LSU's ground game really got rolling. 
Uh, they averaged 6.3 yards per carry. Uh, defense for LSU gave up 320 yards, but the big key stat here is they held Grambling to 3 for 12 on third down and, and 0 for 1 on fourth down. So LSU was able to get off the field pretty routinely, and, and that's how you see a score get to 72 to 10 in a, in a game where one team is clearly overmatched. One of the better games of the weekend, um, I hope you guys got a chance to watch this one, but Ole Miss defeated the Tulane Green Wave 37-20. to But this is a game where if you only look at the final score, you wouldn't know the whole story. Uh, Tulane was actually winning 17-10 to at halftime. The game was tied going into the fourth quarter. Ole Miss scored 20 points in the fourth quarter, but with a little under three minutes left in the game, it was a 27-20 game with Ole Miss winning. Um, Ole Miss kicked a field goal to make it 30-20, to and then they returned a fumble for a touchdown to get that final score of 37 to 20. Um, I've always said that I think that, you know, Lane Kiffin and what he does with his quarterbacks is, is kind of unmatched. And it's been true, you know, for a number of years now. But Jackson Dart was only 17 of 27. He, you know, he did have 267 yards, you know, in the air. So that's good for 10, almost 10 yards in attempt. He had two intercept or two touchdowns, one interception in this game. But the big, the big story here is where I thought Tulane did a good job is um, Ole Miss only managed 89 yards on the ground. And, you know, we all know this, but Tulane is a good football team. And Ole Miss played them, um, you know, played a great game. Played a great game there. So was excited to see that happen. Um, I do like Tulane. I think that um, there are some Gamecock connections there. So it was really good to see them, you know, kind of stand up to an SEC team. That was a big test for the Rebels, but I think the Rebels team is going to be pretty good. So I just excited to to see what happens there. Sorry, I'm trying to get my I'm throwing some uh, side note here. My wife has a bunch of beanie babies from the beanie baby craze, and I have a couple of them up here. I have one that's a little pelican named Scoop. Um, I kind of think about him when I'm doing this show. So with my dog snoring in the background and kind of doing some some dreaming, I, I threw a little beanie baby at him to make him wake up. So sorry for the delay there. Uh, one of the bigger bigger stories that I thought happened in the SEC and in college football overall, um, what happened in Coral Gables with Texas A&M um, losing to Miami. Um, for those of you that you know listen to the gambling portion of this show at the end of, a, of every Thursday episode, I did pick Texas A&M to cover this game minus minus four, and that definitely didn't happen. Um, you know, A&M was able to move the ball through the air. But they just they couldn't break 100 yards rushing. Uh, Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, I feel like he's been at Miami for at least seven years now, just absolutely torched the Aggie secondary for 374 passing yards and five five touchdowns on 30 attempts. Um, Aggies defense gave up 451 total yards in this one. Miami scored a touchdown or field goal in their last three drives of the game to put the Aggies away. When you think about the Aggies right now, you know honestly, I thought that they had enough talent to compete with the LSU and Alabamas of the world and the, and the SEC West. Uh, I wasn't sure if they were going to put it all together, and it, it seems to be that they have not put it all together. And they, they have a million question marks all over the field still. So, you know, as we look forward to SEC play, and this is why I do this segment, it kind of gives you a feel for what to expect um, week in and week out when you're kind of predicting who, what the Gamecocks are going to do with their next opponent. And, you know, we've talked about um, a couple of these teams now that are going to be on the on the Gamecock schedule with Georgia, Tennessee, um, 
We're going to talk about Mississippi State later, about talk about Vanderbilt, um, Texas A&M. You know, all these teams are on the Gamecock schedule, and it's one of those reasons why, you know, regardless of what happened in Charlotte, regardless of what might happen in Athens, there's still a lot for the Gamecocks to play for. And, you know, as we look around the conference, we'll, we'll continue to have this conversation each and every week. Uh, Vanderbilt came back to earth in a 36-20 loss at Wake Forest. Um, A.J. Swan, the quarterback for Vandy, did put up, you know, 314 yards passing again. So um, he currently leads the SEC in passing, and that's where I thought he might kind of tail off as more games were played. But he's still putting up numbers. Um, he threw three touchdown passes, but he also had two interceptions. I don't want to spend too much time here on on Vandy. Vandy's still Vandy in my eyes, and I, I think it's only going to get worse for them as they head into SEC play. Kentucky, um, Kentucky never plays anybody in the non-conference. It's pretty much they don't leave the state of Kentucky. They beat Eastern Kentucky by a score of 28-17. Uh, again, you know, I think it's the second week in a row. Kentucky entered the second quarter losing the game. They were down 7 nothing when the game went to the second quarter. At the end of the first half, it was tied 7-7. Uh, Kentucky did get two touchdowns in the third quarter. They kind of pulled away, um, and then nothing really happened after that. So 11-point victory. And yet again, I'm going to say it, Kentucky hasn't looked great to start the season. I mean, Devin Leary did throw for 299 yards and four touchdowns and, and one interception in this one. And Kentucky got, you know, over 100 yards rushing. But I just don't know. Like, what, what is, is Kentucky just being extremely vanilla? Or are they, you know, still doing what they used to do for years and years and just trying to create a spider web and, and locking, you know, opponents and kind of lulling them to sleep and then just walking away with a victory? I, I have not been that impressed with Kentucky this year at all. And, you know, as we talk about teams the Gamecocks are going to play, I think that's important. Arkansas defeated Kent State 28-7. This was kind of a boring game. Arkansas was consistent. (laughs) If nothing else, they scored a touchdown in each quarter for that 28-7 win. K.J. Jefferson wasn't asked to do too much. 13 of 19 passing for 136 yards and two touchdowns. He did have 13 carries for 48 yards on the ground. But the big story that's happening in Arkansas right now is Raheem Rocket Sanders, who's probably one of the best running backs in the SEC, got hurt in the season opener, didn't play against Kent State, and he's not going to play this week against BYU either. Um, A.J. Green did replace Raheem Sanders and had 82 yards on 15 carries. Uh, last year, A.J. Green, I, I went back and looked at this, he did run for 745 yards and had four touchdowns. So the talent's there, but he's, he's clearly not Rocket Sanders. Um, the Arkansas defense in this game was very active. They got seven sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Should be a good game this week with Arkansas and BYU um, set to do battle. And, you know, no Rocket Sanders. It's going to be on K.J. Jefferson, A.J. Green, and, and their receivers and tight ends to get the job done. So might be one to pay attention to there. Missouri Missouri is like Kentucky to me. Again, you know, Missouri beat Middle Tennessee State 23-19. I didn't see anything very impressive out of Missouri except for their star wide receiver. And he was a former five-star, so I kind of expect this out of um, Luther Bird in the third. He had eight catches for 117 yards. The quarterback for Missouri, Braden Cook, Brady Cook, had was 14 of 19 for 204 yards and two touchdowns. Um, running game got over 100 yards on 46 carries, so it was only 2.4 yards per rush. Uh, Missouri defense didn't force any turnovers, but did have four sacks and seven tackles for loss in the game. Just a really boring game. This is a game that you know. This is like that was like watching paint dry. So. 
A couple other games here. There's only two more to get through. Mississippi State survived their trip to Tucson, Arizona in overtime by a score of 31-24. It's kind of weird, but Will Rogers, the quarterback for Mississippi State, who's known for throwing the ball all over the yard you know, in past years, he only attempted 17 passes in the game. Um, he completed 13 of them for 162 yards and three touchdowns. And I just don't know what to make about Mississippi State right now. They're definitely transitioning from an air raid offense to a more balanced attack on offense, you know, more running, um, you know, less passing. Uh, the Bulldogs ran the ball for 39 times for 145 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the big story here, when, you know, and kind of staying in, in touch with this game, is I saw the Mississippi State had four interceptions, one sack, and nine tackles for loss. So they really did keep Arizona at bay. So, again, not really sure what to make out of Missouri at the moment. I think they're kind of like the Kentuckys of the world. Um, definitely not as talented as the A&Ms, who will always scare you with talent. But, you know, those three teams in particular have not scared me so far, just looking at what they've done. Uh, the last game that we haven't talked about was another SEC team that went out west this past weekend. Auburn beat Cal by a score of 14-10. to Auburn was losing at halftime 10-7, but they pitched a shutout in the second half to hold on to the win. Auburn only had 94 yards passing in this game, and um, they got 130-plus yards on the ground. So this was just an ugly defensive game. I don't know what it says about Auburn kind of kind of long-term, but it, it was a different song sheet than their big win in, in week one against an FCS school, I'll tell you that. It does seem like the roster at Auburn will need to be improved for them to stand a chance in the SEC West going forward, and, and I don't think they're going to be a factor this year in the SEC West with you know, some of those elite teams who I still think Alabama and LSU, you know, while maybe not in the college football playoff conversation right now, are still top 10 teams. And when you're top 10 out of 120 teams in the country, you're still pretty daggum elite. I think Ole Miss is knocking on the door there. Texas A&M still has talent like we've talked about tonight or today. Um, yeah, so Auburn's still still behind behind those folks in the SEC West. Uh, this week we're officially bringing SEC conference play um, to center stage. And the SEC matchups we have this weekend are LSU at Mississippi State. Um, LSU's favored by 10 last time I looked. You got Tennessee at Florida. Tennessee is favored by 6. Obviously, our game, South Carolina at Georgia. And Georgia is favored by 27.5 points. Um, some other notable games in the SEC this week. Number 15 in the country, Kansas State, travels to Missouri. Kansas State's favored by 4. Vanderbilt travels to UNLV. Um, Vanderbilt's favored by five. Georgia Tech travels to Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by 18. And BYU is at Arkansas, and Arkansas is favored by eight. So that's kind of the whip around around the SEC. You know, looking at the, the Gamecocks football schedule, there are still so many, so many winnable games that are still still out there for the Gamecocks. You know, you look at, Mississippi State coming up after Georgia. Then you have at Tennessee. we got to see what Tennessee looks like. Then you have the bye week, and then you have Florida. So you know, Gamecocks are very fortunate to have Florida, Missouri, Texas A&M, Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Clemson to end the season. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games after the bye week. So you know, you got to hope the Gamecocks are able to, you know, let's let's – not talk about Georgia right now, but you got Mississippi State and ten, and at Tennessee. You know, if you can go, let's just say the Gamecocks go one and two in those games, you still have the opportunity to only have 
two losses in the SEC and three losses overall, which I'm um, looking at that seven game stretch in the season would put a lot of momentum for South Carolina climbing the polls while other teams drop games. So I know it's a lot to think about South Carolina running the table, you know, past Georgia. Um, you know, you got that sneaky game with at, at Tennessee, which I don't know what to expect, but Gamecocks have a lot of opportunity for the rest of the season. So like I said, that's why we do this wrap around the SEC. But on to the Georgia game. As I mentioned, South Carolina is a 27.5 point underdog against the number one number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs with an over-under set at 54.5 total points for the game. So the Las Vegas odds and the betters are implying that Georgia will score 41 points and South Carolina will score 13.5 points. So essentially we're looking at the gambling market saying Georgia wins 40 to 14. So if we look at the last 10 games in this series, the scores go as follows. And this is not pretty, y'all, so bear with me. In 2022 in Columbia, Georgia 48, South Carolina 7. In 2021 in Athens, Georgia 40, South Carolina 13. 2020 in Columbia, Georgia 45, South Carolina 16. 2019 in Athens, South Carolina 20, Georgia 17 in two overtimes. And and that was when the Gamecocks upset then number three Georgia in Athens when Georgia was ranked, um, like I said, number three in the country. So probably the biggest road win in Gamecock history. Uh 2018 in Columbia, Georgia 41, South Carolina 17. 2017 in Athens, Georgia 24, South Carolina 10. 2016 in Columbia, Georgia 28, South Carolina 14. 2015 in Athens, Georgia 52, South Carolina 20. 2014 in Columbia, South Carolina 38, Georgia 35. And 2013 in Athens, Georgia 41, South Carolina 30. So South Carolina is 2-8 and eight versus Georgia over the last 10 seasons. Georgia averages 37.1 points per game, and South Carolina averages 18.5 points per game. If you look at just the last four seasons, Georgia averages 37.5 points per game, and South Carolina averages 14 points per game. So the last five seasons have not been good to the Gamecocks when it comes to scoring against Georgia, but neither of the last you know, 10 seasons. So honestly, when I look at that implied point total, I told you earlier of like 40 to 14 Georgia, it makes some sense looking at historical data. And I'm not trying to be a homer here, but since Spurrier left South Carolina, the offensive coordinator position has just been in flux and in turmoil. Um, Just not, not getting nearly enough of what South Carolina needed from an offensive scheme, offensive play calling, offensive, just everything. (laughs) And it's been been this way for far too long. I will say that I, I do have more faith in Dowell Loggins than any of his last three to four predecessors at South Carolina calling an offense. But one of the things I'm having trouble with in this game against Georgia is just getting over the talent gap between South Carolina and Georgia. And you know, one of the things that I, I really, really think about here is, you know, Georgia's gonna have a talent gap on on whatever team they play right now in the country. I mean, pick your team. Georgia's, you know, maybe Alabama, maybe Alabama, maybe Ohio State. But outside of that, Georgia has a a major talent gap over everybody else in the country. And, And when I think back to 2019 when the Gamecocks, you know, won that double overtime thriller, South Carolina forced a ton of turnovers 
And somehow the, the Gamecock defense stood up all game long, you know, only giving Georgia two touchdowns, um, one field goal. Um, Georgia had some missed field goals. Obviously, you know, Izzy had the, you know, the big, I think, three-interception game, or maybe it was four. I can't remember. But everything went right on defense. You know, everything did not go right on offense. You know, Ryan Helensky was absolutely dealing you know, before he got hurt, and then DeCarion Joyner came in, and somehow the Gamecocks scraped out a win. Um, but I just, you know, even though I don't think this Georgia team is as good as the past two seasons who won national championships at Georgia, I just don't know if outside of Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett, I have seen anyone at South Carolina who I think I, who could start for Georgia right now. Um, Georgia's just that good at all positions on the field. I think that this Georgia team is a, it's a step back from the last few years, but it's still really, really good, um, especially on defense and in their running game. It, it would, I think it would take a kind of balls to the wall, last game of the season, can't hold anything back now mentality for South Carolina to, to win this game. Um, it's going to have to be something that, that Georgia hasn't seen. I know that in talking to some folks around the program, and, and JC mentioned this on his show, I believe, as well, but you know there are people inside the program that think that South Carolina can 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 complete some down down the field passes and they kind of take the top off the Georgia defense. So there is optimism there, um, but I think that you know just for starters, you know when you talk about this game, the offensive line is going to have to play so much better than it did against North Carolina and Furman, but especially better than they played in Charlotte against North Carolina. And I just have my doubts that'll happen this weekend. I think it can happen over the course of the season. You know, I do think the offensive line can get better, but I think it's a lot to ask of this offensive line as it currently sits to keep pressure off Spencer Rattler in a hostile environment like Athens. And, you know, I'm just sitting here trying to envision ways that this will happen. So, I mean, here's how I think it can happen. Obviously, staying with the offense, Juice Wells has to be Juice Wells. Uh, if, If this is Juice Wells of last year, I think that Juice Wells would start for Georgia. And I think that South Carolina might have two better wide receivers than Georgia has a wide receiver. So, I mean, there is something there. Um, you know, but th- this isn't a game where the Gamecocks are going to be able to run the ball 20 to 30 times this game with much effectiveness. The Gamecocks are going to have to try and beat Georgia in the air and through creative running game alternatives like end rounds, pop passes, trick plays, you know, just anything you can to manufacture offense to keep Georgia honest because – you're going to need to take the top off of a Georgia defense that is really, really good. Um, you look back and, you know, Tennessee didn't have the best defense last year, but South Carolina was able to take the top off off the defense. And, you know, kind of going back to that Tennessee game, there I don't think there's a quarterback in the country that's playing as well as Spencer Rattler is. I mean, if there is, it might be only one or two. So, you know, you think about that and you just think about, you know, what you've seen out of Spencer Rattler and, you know, you can kind of get optimistic in some ways, but, you know, Spencer's arm may have been kissed by the gods, but even he can't will the Gamecocks to victory against Georgia throwing the ball 50 or 60 times in Athens. But if Juice Wells is healthy, if Amarion Brown is getting healthier and can play and provide some speed and elusiveness, maybe they can get Juju into space, get Xavier Leggett downfield. Um, we saw Eddie Lewis come on. You know, maybe you get like a kickoff return for a touchdown. You force some turnovers on defense. 
Uh, you get the tight ends involved. You know, if we can see the absolute best version of this Gamecock offense, then okay, you know, all bets are off the table. But I just feel like that is a lot to ask right now. But I mean, you get the Trey Knox and you get Joshua Simon, you know, involved. Maybe they can act as an extension of the run game with some short, quick passes. I mean, Spencer's not scared to sit in the pocket and take a lick. Like that's not that's not something you have to worry about with Spencer. But you know, you just got to find ways to to create opportunities downfield, and that's what I'm kind of worried about when it comes to the Gamecock defense against the Georgia offense. Georgia has been extremely vanilla so far on offense. They haven't really shown much. Um, They haven't started all that fast, and they've kind of just bulldozed their opponents with a balanced attack, taking, you know, 7, 8, 10, 12 yards per offensive play. Uh, Georgia has one of the best offensive lines and running back groups in the country, although, you know, you haven't really seen the running backs go wild yet. But, you know, when you think about that, you know, okay, so if the offensive line is going to make holes for the running backs, Georgia has been kind of vanilla, kind of slow so far, you know, so what has to happen? Well, the Gamecocks have got to get after Carson Beck. This is Carson Beck's, I think, third start. It's his first real test as a starter in the SEC. The Gamecocks have got to find a way to make life difficult for him. I, I, th- I really do firmly believe if you just let Georgia play in front of you, they will beat you nine times out of ten. You cannot just let them take seven, eight, twelve yards per play like we've seen so often. The Gamecocks are going to have to find a way to get to creative. And when I say creative, they're going to have to blitz. I think they're going to have to blitz a lot. They're going to have to say, I'm taking my chance. And, you know, in years past, the Gamecocks didn't really get a whole lot of pressure on Stetson Bennett. When Stetson Bennett was pressured, you know, more often than not, he would evade a tackle kind of make life really annoying for Gamecock players and Gamecock fans. And, you know, he might scoot for a 37, 57-yard touchdown run just because the play lasted so long. You have got to get after Carson Beck. You know, so far Carson Beck has eight carries for 29 yards rushing with one rushing touchdown. He has completed 72% of his passes for 577 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. And, and look, Carson Beck was a highly rated player. He might prove me wrong, but Carson Beck isn't going to be the guy that beats you on Saturday. It'll be the 10 other guys on Georgia's offense, the offensive line giving him time in the pocket. It's going to be players getting open downfield. It's going to be players going to get open short. The Gamecocks have got to find a way to get Beck, to get Beck under pressure and to force some turnovers one way or another. I mean, talk about special teams, trick plays, Kickoff returns, punt returns, interception returns, fumble returns. The Gamecocks are going to probably have to find one or two of those type of scores, whether it's an interception return, a fumble return, a you know, a fake punt, a fake kick, something. The Gamecocks are going to have to find creative ways to get points here because the Gamecock defense just hasn't shown me enough yet to say that they can stop Georgia from hanging, you know, 30 to 45 points on them at this point. And that's no disrespect to the Gamecock defense. It's more respect for Georgia because they just have so much talent and they just they just beat you to a pulp with these 8- to 15-yard plays that you can just roll off. Um, you know, we talked about the injuries earlier for South Carolina. I don't want to go much more into that. Um, if, if Shane says they're questionable, I don't know what to tell you. If Shane says they're going to play, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and I hate to be that guy that doesn't know, but I don't think anybody knows at this point. I think – that you know, any rumors you see on the message boards are just rumors. 
Um, I don't think that anybody knows what's going on inside that locker room right now. But um, there are some rumors about Georgia having some injuries. And, you know, I'll say the same thing I say about the South Carolina message boards. You know, I don't know, you know, how forthcoming Kirby Smart is. I know that, you know, there's a lot of gamesmanship that gets played between coaching staffs with, you know, who's going to be available, who's not, who's banged up, who's not, who's 100% when they're really 70%. Yeah, that's a lot of gamesmanship, and you always want to make sure your opponent has to prepare for the best version of you, and at least you know maybe someone's a decoy for a little bit. But I do know that Georgia first team All American tight end Blake Bowers is rumored to have an injury to his upper body. I've heard hand, I've heard wrist, I've heard shoulder. I've heard that this could make him limited in the in the game Saturday, or he could not play. Um, also, some rumors that wide receiver Lad McConkey for Georgia hasn't practiced all week and will likely not be able to play this week against South Carolina. And look, those are two difference makers who are out or limited for Georgia this week, and that could help the Gamecocks upset chances here. Um, Georgia still got two elite wide receivers that were SEC players last year through the transfer portal, so I'm not saying that you know Georgia has you know, nothing in the cupboard. They still have really good players, but Blake Bowers and Ladd McConkey are definitely um, guys that or is it Blake or Brock? I can't remember what his name is. It's the Bowers kid. Those are definitely guys that can um, can make things happen, and they're just kind of really, you know, Bowers is just really ridiculous, like Kelsey-like and Gronk-like. But Lad McConkie's just that annoying guy that just gets open all the time, like a Hunter Renfro, and but he's probably way faster than Hunter Renfro. So if those guys are out, that's great for South Carolina. As I sit here right now, it's probably time for me to give my prediction. Uh, I'm going Georgia 37, South Carolina 20. I, I can't get past the talent difference, the game being in Athens, and just the shakiness of South Carolina's offensive line this week. I do think that Georgia handles their business and gets the win in Athens, but I don't think they cover the line. Um, and, and look, I'm not going to be shocked if the Gamecocks win this game. Um, I'm predicting Georgia. I'm predicting a closer game than what the spread would say. I'm predicting a bit more points than what the over-under is. I just think that this is a game where South Carolina cannot let Georgia get a full head of steam. They haven't done it at all this year, whether by design or whether being by vanilla or whether they just take a little bit to get going. But, you know, I pray to everything above. I pray to God that, you know, if the Gamecocks win the coin toss, they defer to the second half. I think that the defense needs to get out there and try and set the tone for the Gamecocks on the first drive. You know, I can I can go through my head and make a million scenarios in which the Gamecocks win on a last-second field goal. I can be the 13-year-old optimist, you know, Matt Anderson, who says the Gamecocks are going to blow them out and it's going to be a surprise game that no one's going to see happen. But, you know, right now, if I have to make a prediction, I'm going to say Georgia 37, South Carolina 20. So with that out of the way, um, you know, I'm still excited to watch the game. I'm still excited to watch the Gamecocks play. You know, only get 12 or 13 of these cherished Saturdays uh, a, a season. Um, and then you got bowl bowl games that happen. And, you know, so never get down on the Gamecocks. You know, even 27F point underdog. Crazier things have happened in Athens. And I'll still be rooting like crazy for the Gamecocks to win. And I, I, hope, I hope to be celebrating with all of you Monday on the biggest win in Gamecock history. But... Let's move on to Matt's gambling pick segment of the show. This is usually how we end these Thursday shows during football season. And, 
And we'll probably have some more of these during basketball season. Probably do these on on Mondays and Thursdays instead of instead of just you know Thursdays like we have to do during college football season. But so last week I went two for five in my picks. I got Notre Dame minus seven and a half at NC State and Colorado minus three at home versus Nebraska. Correct. But I missed on Alabama minus seven at home against Texas. I missed on Texas A&M minus four at Miami. And I missed on Stanford plus 30 at Southern Cal. For the season, I'm four and six on my picks. So now's definitely the time to swing this momentum back to the positive side. And my wife will kill me. But I'm hoping to win four or five games this week. Who knows? Maybe I, I parlay all of these picks. But my first pick is LSU minus nine and a half at Mississippi State. I think that LSU is one of the top six to ten teams in the country, and I don't think Mississippi State's even close talent-wise. I don't think Mississippi State's one of the top eight or nine or ten teams in the SEC. I think they just have too much going on on offense, too much going on on defense, too much transition. And I think LSU knows exactly what they want to do on offense and defense, and Mississippi State's just not there yet. I have LSU winning this game by 17-plus points, so LSU minus 9.5 at Mississippi State. My second pick is Tennessee minus six at Florida. Here, I think that Tennessee and Florida both have great defenses this season. I know that Tennessee has an elite rushing attack this year. I don't know if Florida is elite at anything on offense this season, and I don't believe in Florida's quarterback at all. Earlier in the week, earlier in the week, this line was Tennessee minus seven and a half, so it has dropped some in the Gators' favor. Um, with Tennessee only be favored by six right now. But I saw the same thing happen with the Gators against Utah earlier in the season where that line kind of dropped. This game is at night in Gainesville, and the stadium is going to be electric. However, Tennessee also hasn't won in the Swamp since 2003. I think that streaks are made to be broken. And for my money, Tennessee is much better than Florida this year. I think Tennessee will make Florida one-dimensional and will force multiple turnovers to get the win by at least a touchdown in the Swamp. So give me Tennessee minus six. Third pick. Penn State minus 14.5 at Illinois. First off, I would love to get this at like minus 13.5 or minus 14. I, I kind of hate the hook there at minus 14.5. But, you know, f- first thing, I just don't think Illinois belongs on the same field as Penn State. I think Penn State kind of sees blood in the water and their big, tw- their big, um, 10, big, whatever you want to call it, title chase this year. Um, I think that, you know, they think that they can beat Michigan. I think they think they can beat Ohio State. I think they see a college football playoff, you know, ahead of them. And I think that um, Penn State's willing to put up style points this year. And, you know, based on week one, I think that they're definitely aware of point spreads. And I think this number is just too low for a Penn State team, you know, even at Illinois. I think that um, – I think Penn State wins by by 21-plus points this weekend. Fourth pick here. Um, so, yeah, it's Penn State minus 14.5. My fourth pick, Georgia Tech plus 18 at Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia Tech's quarterback right now is averaging over 300 yards per game passing. He has a 7-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio while completing 65% of his passes. And Georgia's running the ball for over – or Georgia Tech's running the ball for over 220 yards per game. Now, the competition hasn't been elite for Georgia Tech, but it's still, you know, not bad numbers at all. I think Ole Miss wins this game. I think it's a pretty comfortable margin in the fourth quarter for Ole Miss. But, you know, the same way I talked about that hook at, you know – the Penn State minus 14 and a half. I just really like that plus 18 number that I saw 
for Georgia Tech. And I think Ole Miss might win this game by 14 to 17 points. And I think Georgia Tech squeaks through with a cover. The fifth pick here is Colorado minus 23 and a half versus Colorado State. Look, those of you guys that have listened to this podcast for a couple weeks knows that I was not a believer in Colorado before the season. I just wasn't. I didn't think that they could bring in as many transfers as they did and be competitive in the big. And they still they still might not be competitive over the course of a 12-game regular season. But with what I've seen in the past two weeks and with the motivation that the Colorado State coach Jane Norvell provided Deion Sanders and his team this week, I'm kind of just taking an unwarranted shot at Deion Sanders. Really, I just want to be a part of the fun for this game, and that's why I'm going to ride with Colorado for a second consecutive week after betting against Colorado in week one against TCU. But what I saw in Boulder and what I saw what Boulder looked like at 10 a.m. for 10 a.m. kickoff against Nebraska, I can't imagine the, the atmosphere for a night game against Colorado State, which is a rival. Um, I know for a fact that Dion isn't going to hold back if he can run the score up. And it might be late in the game. It might be, you know, just pour some salt on some wounds, touchdowns at the end of the game just for spite. But I think that, you know, Colorado, I mean, the line was 23 and a half, and then you had all this trash talk. So we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a fun game. It's a 10, it's 10 p.m. kickoff. So I'm going to ride with Colorado. Minus 23 and a half. I think that it happens. It's a big number, but I think it happens. But so, all right, everyone. Um, we'll see if we can get on the positive side of this this um, gambling run that I'm on right now. Um, be great to go four, four for five or five for five. I'll definitely throw all this in a $5 parlay to see what happens. But guys, I thank y'all so much. And guys and gals, I thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate y'all giving me the most valuable thing you have, your time. And I can't wait to see you all on Monday night when we officially go live on YouTube at 9 p.m. But I hope you all have a great weekend and go Cox.